It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. What's going on in the world and should we do anything to challenge it? Quantum is a podcast that seeks to try and assess things from a wider perspective, to bring questions, to look at culture, to consider what's going on. And delighted that you're able to join us for quantum number 103. Now, we haven't done this for a while, so we're going to begin with getting a brief update on where the COVID situation is throughout the world. We'll start with COVID-19 because the head of the World Health Organization has repeated his warning that this pandemic is getting worse. He says too many countries are heading in the wrong direction. Here's the latest from the WHO briefing. We need to reach a sustainable situation where we have adequate control of this virus without shutting down our lives entirely or lurching from lockdown to lockdown, which has a hugely detrimental impact on societies. I want to be straight with you. There will be no return to the old normal for the foreseeable future. Well, there's so much that could be said. Worldwide, as the WHO pointed out, this situation is not going away. And there are some worrying signs of mutations occurring. In the US, in Brazil, in India, the countries with the three largest infection rates and also highest death rates, um, it is particularly concerning. There is some talk, and there always is talk, of a vaccine being ready, but again, that remains highly questionable. The WHO warned us here in Australia we might not get one for two and a half years. And here in Australia, it's interesting, we had a strategy that was remarkably successful and may yet prove to be so, and yet a couple of examples of misbehavior have resulted now in Victoria getting hundreds of cases per day that's spilling apparently over into New South Wales and it it really is highly questionable about what can be done but I suspect that we are going to have to eat humble pie and recognize that we are not in control of this thing What about in the UK where people are being asked to wear masks? That also is interesting. I'm doing some research on masks. I'm going to write something about it. But it does appear that the main reason for asking people to wear masks is psychological and political, not practical. In other words, masks don't stop you getting COVID. Not really. They may stop you spreading it if you already have it. But in a situation uh, as in Scotland, where I think it's one in 4,000 people have the vaccine, insisting that everyone wear a mask into a shop. Having politicians wearing masks in the open air where there's no point to them, it seems to me somewhat strange. Okay, anything else? Oh yeah, this one slightly amused me a little bit. This was in Norway. Um, Funeral homes have appealed for state funding because they've been so successful that the mortality rate overall in Norway has declined so much. They've cancelled funeral services and they've left many undertakers without work. There's something else tied in here, um, and that is the question of slavery. Let's have a look at this. 
Well, then what about all the other moral causes? These are the people, they care so much about black lives. And yet, really interestingly, they're not going to be remotely bothered about playing in the World Cup uh, in, in Qatar, which is with stadiums built by literally slave labour, uh, where people have died because of the terrible conditions, where women aren't allowed out of their homes without a male guardian, and where gay people are, 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 put, to, are put to death or, or imprisoned simply for being gay. I mean, do gay lives matter to the uh, FA? Do, do, do women's lives matter? Do... I mean, I mean, that's the thing. They're saying it's a moral cause. This is just political posturing. Well, I, I think maybe the, the Premier League would probably say that, you know, there have been some pretty bad racist incidents, as we heard uh, yesterday, with a couple of your guests uh, uh, mm. talking about, you know, the Raheem Sterling thing that happened at Chelsea, Marcus Rashford earlier this season. It's something that's been on the television screens, being beamed into people's houses, and it, and it affects the brand. You know, you can be cynical about it, but it's not a good look when yeah. this is going on. No, so I think no. It's... I, again, it's all about the branding, not that... Um, then, you, know, they should keep you know, if football's governing bodies really did care about black lives so much, and yet they're still going to play in the World Cup in Qatar in sla- stadiums that are built by slave labour and where many people have died, what's the point of that? And here's another thing that's fascinating. In all this talk about slavery and historical slavery, what about slavery today? There's an astonishing report that's come out by the think tank, the Centre for Social Justice and the anti-slavery charity Justice and Care who say that there are nearly, get this, this is unbelievable, 100,000 slaves working across Britain, around 10 times more than the 2017 government estimates. The report, it still happens here, analysed examples of slavery in the United Kingdom. They came to a figure of 99,469 this slavery has been coordinated by ruthless criminal networks, ranges from hard labour, crime, domestic servitude, prostitution, with children also being trafficked. They are working in conjunction with people traffickers to bring people from the Middle East, Eastern Europeans and others who are subjugated to debt bondage, where they're in debt for their passage and have to hand over their passports and so on. Very few face prosecution relative to the number of victims found. And here's the, uh, also the fascinating thing. The city of Leicester, which had to go into an extra lockdown, is estimated has 10,000 of those slaves. This is incredible. People go on about slavery from the past, but we have reintroduced slavery in Western society in the present. All right, let's go to something a little bit more cheerful. Uh, Mr. Jack Charlton. Now, Jack Charlton, just just an amazing man, a working class lad from Ashington. Um, his in the north of England. He played for one team all his life, Leeds. He won the World Cup with England in 1966. And he was an English World Cup winner who was adored by the Irish because he became the Irish manager and led them to two World Cup finals, including the quarterfinals in Italia 1990. And in the USA, he was a, a, a fisherman as well, uh, a, a remarkable character. And I, I, I think 
from a different era. I'm sorry to hear of him going. I'm here to, to meet a few people, to talk to people, to let them see me and find out what I'm like. I mean, I could talk, you know that for a start. I can I manage? <laughs> left the Irish public with memories of many special days and nights. The man and his team won the hearts of a nation. It worries me what the reception would be like if we actually won something. <laughs> Just wonderful, absolutely. I always enjoyed any interview by him. And since we're on about the Irish manager, uh, here's my album number nine. Uh, I've been looking at ten albums that are, were very influential in my musical taste, and this is one that I still listen to a lot. Um, and it's the Bothy Bands, Out of the Wind, Into the Fire. How can you not love that? I just love Irish and Scottish uh, folk music and how it's translated over into American as well. All right, after that musical break, let's uh, come back to considering a subject. Well, actually, two subjects in one, three subjects in one, censorship, the corporations, and China. There is an author, Ezra Levant, who you may like or not like, that's not the issue. The issue for about free speech is not that you only want published the people who you like. But he was told by Amazon that they were deleting his best-selling book, China Virus, claiming it contradicted official views on the pandemic, although his book has no medical advice and was purely a political book. You'll see what's happening here. Google, Amazon, Twitter, others are using their social media platform to uh, and their political views to determine who gets to sell things, who gets to speak. I wonder, you know, people talk about the mark of the beast, but that really is something else. 
There are things I'd love to censor. They wouldn't censor this, though. A story was reported in the Australian newspapers here of a single woman who decided she wanted to be a mother, but she didn't want to have a man involved and she didn't want a doctor, help from a doctor. So Danielle Morin shared a video, of course, on TikTok, detailing how she went about making a baby on her own without a man or a doctor. She treated it like a DIY project. She's from California and she carried out a home insemination procedure on herself. She used a shringe brought from a chemist. Um, the sperm cost a thousand dollars, including delivery. Is anyone who's listening to this not horrified at that? Think about that poor child. What happens if this becomes commonplace? And let's say that child meets someone and ends up marrying someone who ends up coming from the same sperm donor. It, it's, a, it's a grotesque way. And I think what strikes me about that, this particular one is not only the methodology, but the self-publicity and the boasting. It's little wonder that our world is getting in such a mess. Now, tied in with that is just this breathtaking thing. And for some reason, the trans cult seems to have taken over the minds of the elites. And just the vicious attack, as we've said before, on J.K. Rowling and others dealing with this. But there's a, a cancer trust, a cervical cancer trust called Joe's. And they have tweeted out that everyone with a cervix should have access to support and information about cervical cancer and smears tests. There was a hashtag on Twitter over the weekend insisting that only females get cervical cancer. And Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust said that this was wrong, indeed hateful. We're aware of that hashtag that raises the issue of gender identity and cervical cancer. We want to ensure everyone with a cervix has access to the information. This is, you'll notice how the term women is being removed. A couple of feminists that I follow on Twitter, uh, I found out about this from them because they're saying, this is not a spoof, this is for real. I want to take a break and I want you to listen to this just amazing woman and you'll hear why in a moment. Do you know, do you know Yeah. 
That was, of course, Mahalia Jackson. Now, Giles Fraser has written an absolutely superb piece in Unheard of how cancel culture makes liars of us all. And I want to just read you a, a lengthy quote from it because I think you'll, you'll, it, it will really benefit you and I suggest you read the whole article. He cites Mahalia Jackson but singing Amazing Grace. Mahalia Jackson, of course, was an African-American. Amazing Grace was a song written by a slave trader and it, it became the theme of the anti-racism movement. In modern cancel culture, of course, it would go. But this is what Fraser says. The new, highly secular cancel culture represents an extreme form of righteousness that, that has all the moral power of a certain kind of Protestant Christianity, but none of the basic scaffolding of redemption on which such Christianity is built. And morality without forgiveness or redemption is a frightening, persecutory business. Part of the problem with the cancel culture of modern identity politics is that it makes the confession of sin so much more difficult to achieve. Or to put that in a more secular idiom, how can we all confront the various forms of racism, sexism, homophobia and so on that we harbour within when the consequences of any form of public admission are devastating and toxic? There's a sort of furious moral vigilantism that encourages its adherents to troll through our public utterances in order to condemn and shame us in the high court of Twitter. Against this digital shoaling of the mob, any protestations of rightful innocence are impossible to make, and the fear of being targeted makes any exploration or confession of our hidden failings terrifying to contemplate. Cancel culture makes us hide in fear. It makes us publicly pretend we are better than we are. It turns us all into liars. And the more we fear the exposure of our failings, the more we point the finger at others in the hope of misdirecting the anger of the crowd. Hate the sin, love the sinner. This phrase is often trotted out in evangelical circles and it has become too much of a cliché. But nonetheless, it neatly summarises a kind of firewall that developed in some Christian circles to stop legitimate anger at injustice spilling over into some kind of endless personal attack upon the perpetrators. And it enables us to explore our own failings so much more easily. And then this is brilliant. The problem is that under Christian culture, we used to believe that wrongdoers would get their ultimate comeuppance when they face the divine after death. From such a perspective, the final administration of justice would be carried out by the ultimate righteous judge who knows all the secret of our hearts. But this God is now dead in popular culture. Not in reality, by the way. And so the consequences of our moral failings have to be reckoned with in this life. Otherwise, we'd get away with them without any sorts of censure. In other words, the God that would judge us all with fairness and kindness has been replaced by the high court of the digital trial. And once sentence has been passed, there is no coming back ever. That is what it is to be cancelled. Brilliant. Well, they're coming for your kids as well. Listen to this. So we've had to have parent consultations, you know, and the only advice I can give you around that is don't send a letter home to say you're about to embark on this work. That's the worst thing you can do. Don't hold a parents meeting. You don't want 30 parents shouting at you. Who wants that in your life? That's an awful thing to do. But what you can do is you can survey parents. You can ask them where they feel they need help. You're not asking them if they like it or not. That's not the issue. It's in policy. We have to do this work. But you can say, on which of these equality strands do you need help? 
You know, do you need help talking to your child about racism? Do you need help talking to your child um, about disabilities? Do you need help talking about sexual orientation, gender? And just see what comes back. And so you're doing it in a more supportive manner. So I would suggest that as a way if you wanted to do more proactive work with parents to get them involved. That is the teaching conference of Educate and Celebrate, a so-called charity warning Irish teachers not to meet parents for consultation or to send letters home regarding new sexual education programmes. Uh, a, a charity of which Peter Tatchell is the patron. Said it again, say it over and over and over again. Our children are being indoctrinated and they are not being educated. This has become a, a theme tune of, I think, of, of almost of this podcast. But just in case you need reminded, we don't need no education. I thought about that because of what's going on at my old university in Edinburgh. A campaign calling for Edinburgh University to drop the name of the f philosopher David Hume from David Hume Tower, a place I studied due to his racist beliefs, has won the support of the university's students' union. Now, this is delicious in so many ways. David Hume was an atheist, or at least an agnostic, uh, and he's often cited, and now they want him banned. Now, what is really funny about this, the student who did the petition, a Ms. Lund, uh, called for David Hume Tower to be named after Julius Nereri, the first president of independent Tanzania, or Tanzania, who's also a graduate of Edinburgh University. However, that petition has had to be amended because Nereri apparently had homophobic views and ties to dictatorship. And so they've, they've changed that. Oh, there's going to be nobody left. The university, of course, says uh, pompously, we take issues acknowledging the past very seriously. We're now working with students, staffs and members of the community to thoughtfully explore how we address this matter. How about just getting some guts? How about just telling them to go and get lost? How about asking your students to grow up and do some studying? Oh, our universities are just a waste of space. Mind you, they do say, we'll continue to encourage dialogue to ensure we're fit for purpose in the 21st century. In the 21st century, we don't do dialogue. Haven't you got that yet? All right, we're going to leave you. Love you and leave you. Um, since we've had Pink Floyd, we're going to go with Pink Floyd again. Yeah, you know this one, money. And they say, I'm going to play out with this, but I do want to tell you this story. They say religion makes money. And yes, it does. For some people. Money. Apparently, for Indian royal families, it does. Because India's Supreme Court on Monday upheld the right of a former royal dynasty to run the Sri Padmabhaswami Temple one of the world's richest places of worship. Now, I, I, when we say rich, we mean rich. When the family patriarch died, the state government tried to take it over. 
But within the vaults of that temple in Kerala, it was it holds diamonds by the sackful along with tons of gold coins and jewellery given as offerings. And guess how much they're worth? Twenty billion dollars. Twenty not million, twenty billion. There's money in religion. There's money in false religion. It's not the Christian way. Our way is to give away money. Our way is not to hoard it. Our way, we, we can't take it with us. We spend it as we can in, in, in this world for the good of others. That should be our aim. 20 billion hoarded away in a country. And that's just one temple. There are many thousands of them in a country where there is so much poverty and so, so, so wicked. Well, I thank the Lord that we have a gospel which is offered without price. Thank the Lord that we just have these tremendous riches from God. And if you want to find out more, please do... uh, Go online to my blog and have a look at the the online cafe that we've been doing here in Australia. If you'd like a free copy of Magnificent Obsession, the book I wrote about Jesus, you're not a Christian, I'm, I'm happy to try and get that to you. If you'd like to send me news and information for the next quantum, please feel free to do so. And if you'd like to support it, even what I said about money, we don't... We don't need billions, we don't need millions, we don't even need thousands. We just need a wee bit just to enable us to keep going. Um, I'm not going to be going out and buying a Porsche on what people give. It's just to maintain this podcast. Then feel free to do so at the Podbean fundraiser, which you can also get on the blog. God bless you and see you next week. Keep the news coming in. Money. It's a crime